Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas, and thanks so much for joining me in a week when the royal family has once again been in the news. Prince Philip continues his stay in hospital, and Harry and Meghan seem to be at odds with Buckingham Palace if claims made by the Times are to be believed. Apparently, the accusation levelled at the young couple is that they bullied staff and the Royal Juniors have now hit back and Meghan has filmed an interview with Oprah Winfrey. The plot thickens. Now, let's be absolutely clear. All of this stuff has not been proven at any level yet, as far as I know, so these are just claims and not facts. But when we hear headlines suggesting that in any situation people are behaving badly towards one another, we should surely examine our own hearts. Having spent 42 years or so in ministry, I can tell you that those who follow Jesus can still be unkind, cruel, and sometimes controlling and even bullying. I've met mean leaders, and I've met mean church members in my time. And so, even though I've talked about it before here on Lucas on Life, tonight I'd like us to reflect on the power of simple, beautiful kindness because in days when lockdown can fuel short tempers and hasty, spiteful words, kindness can be in short supply. Airports are not my favourite places, which is unfortunate because over the years I have spent quite a lot of time in them, although in the last year, not so much. I don't mind flying so much, even though some in-flight food is surely created by demonised chefs and one is occasionally required to play that culinary game, name that food, mainly because it's difficult to determine whether it's beef or chicken, it all tastes the same, at least to me. Unlike the excited newbie traveller, the thrilled ten-year-old, or even that pencil-toting soul who goes plane-spotting, apologies to any pencil-toting plane-spotting listeners who are hearing this, I'm no longer joyous when I step inside a terminal. On the contrary. Airports are usually emotional black holes. Admittedly, there are a few happy folk to be seen, although some of them have smiles fuelled by quaffing lager with their airport breakfast, a habit that is surely prohibited in Leviticus. Dark Irish stout is not the ideal beverage to go with eggs and bacon at 7am. Most people in airports are there simply because they want to be somewhere else, which affects their mood. Then there's the security screening where you try to look relaxed while your hand luggage is being scanned because there is the remote possibility that a tactical nuclear warhead has been secreted alongside your laptop. One of my most least favourite moments comes when I have to remove my belt. I have a deep-seated fear that one day my jeans will fall to my ankles and I will be hapless in a crowded security area, embarrassed beyond belief in my Mickey Mouse-adorned boxer shorts. Actually, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't wear Mickey Mouse-adorned boxer shorts. It's Donald Duck. There's all that rushing, because sadly some airport officials tell fibs. Actually, they lie. The departure board flashes up the news that your flight is now boarding, or even worse, is now in the final, last and final call process. The gate is a 20-minute walk away, they say, and so breathless and perhaps even muttering words not normally in the vocabulary of good Christian people, you arrive at the gate only to discover that the boarding process has not even started yet. 
You repent, eventually, of muttering those words, but then you feel something close to hatred for the person who issued the false boarding announcement. And then you repent of feeling hatred, and so it goes on. Sorry, there's more. If you're flying a budget airline, you'll be required to line up according to the seat number on your boarding pass. So if you're in seat B23, may the Lord have mercy upon you if by accident you get in front of the person who is in seat B22. All in all, I'm usually glad when the time comes to exit the airport because I prefer arriving to travelling. There was one particular occasion, however, when the sun came out in Denver Airport Terminal A and all because of a lady that Kay and I had spotted, because she was kind. For Kay and me, one of our hobbies is people watching and people listening. Sometimes we take this a little too far and refrain from conversation with each other so that we can tune in to the conversations of others nearby. Kay especially loves this. With a birthday coming up, I'm planning on buying her surveillance equipment as a gift. As for the aforementioned lady, we first saw her on the swaying transit train that propelled us towards our gate area. Standing next to a nervous-looking family, she greeted them all smiles and wished them a happy flight. Just one warm comment from her seemed to calm their frayed nerves a little. Later, when we boarded an escalator, she stood behind us and smiled and joked with a rather sudden-looking passenger too, brightening up the 22nd ascent. And then, to our surprise, she lined up for the same flight as us, bearing in mind that Denver Airport normally has over 1,600 flights daily. As she boarded, she profusely thanked the gate agent, who seemed surprised and thrilled at the appreciation. We took off, I popped a peanut in my mouth, unhelpfully adding to the dehydrating conditions of flying, and pondered her kindness. And it was then that I felt a nudge, perhaps from God, to encourage her if I could find her once we'd landed. My mind immediately recoiled at the notion. The lady might not welcome an approach from a random chap. My well-meaning intentions could end up as an example in Stranger Danger public safety advice videos. After we'd landed and disembarked the plane, she was nowhere to be found. Frankly, I felt quite relieved, off the hook from what I thought might be a mission from God. Down in the busy baggage claim area, I dutifully scanned the crowd, but in vain. And then I noticed that she was standing right next to me talking on the phone. Suddenly, her carry-on bag fell over at my feet. This could be my moment. But she was still talking as I put the bag upright. She thanked me mid-call, grabbed her bags, headed away, and then stopped to look at her phone. Our luggage arrived, and we headed to walk past her. And that's when her bag fell over once again, right at my feet. And so I picked it up again and plunged in nervously. Excuse me, this might sound a little strange, but I'm a pastor. I felt that that might make me sound a little safer, which may or may not be the case. My wife and I both noticed your repeated kindness back in Denver. It's so refreshing to see someone act like you do. I prayed that I'd have the chance to meet you and thank you, and so thank you. Her mouth fell open, she smiled broadly, and then burst into tears. Happy tears. After the briefest of chats, she hurried off to repair her ruined mascara, and I was left wondering, had God performed some nifty choreography to enable that moment? 
I'm wary of Christians who see God steering every detail of life and I no longer pray for parking spaces unless I desperately need one, feeling that the Lord of the universe has other things to deal with. But my faith in coincidences is limited. We often say that the devil is in the detail, but perhaps, just perhaps, God can be in the detail too. Did God set up that airport encounter? Possibly. Probably even. But this much is absolutely certain. Kindness, so wonderfully demonstrated by that smiling, gracious lady, can light up gloomier spaces. Kindness is an often overlooked characteristic of our God, who graced his old covenant people with loving kindness. The Apostle Paul, writing a letter to his friends in Ephesians, celebrated the God who has showered his kindness on us. You can read about it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8. When we're kind, we're just a little more like God. Kindness often costs nothing except time and thought, but surely turns heads and hearts here on earth. And surely heaven watches and celebrates acts of kindness as well. Kindness, that's what we're talking about tonight, and kindness is often expressed by the way that we talk. My passport photograph isn't the best. Actually, it's really quite scary. I'm not sure what I was thinking when I popped behind that green curtain at the booth in the now-defunct Woolworths. I fed my pound coins in, and then I glared like a trainee serial killer into the glass square that housed the camera. Why did I pull that facial expression, one that inmates on death row usually pull before they meet the hooded executioner? Was I battling some angst about faith or wrestling with the internal consequences of an earlier chicken madras? It was not so much a pose, more a confrontation. I'm not saying that the result is ugly, but if you have problems getting your small children to go to bed at night, call me and I'll send over the photo. They'll dash under the covers at the speed of light, tearfully thankful to be away from the scary man. There isn't an airbrush powerful enough to turn this little snap into something warm and attractive. I'm expecting approaches from leading plastic surgeons, but not offering treatment. I could serve as a before picture in their glossy ads. But I was unprepared for the reaction that I received at passport control in yet another airport. I was feeling relieved to actually be out of the queue because it seemed like half the world was trying to get into the UK at that time and there were only two bored-looking border control inspectors to manage things. A kindly-looking man held out his hand for my passport. Bless him, he had no idea of the horror that his eyes were about to alight upon. When he flipped open my passport and the unsmiling face of a wannabe psychopath stared back at him, he was unable to control himself. Gosh, he exclaimed, visibly shocked. And then there was a terrible moment of embarrassment as he dug an even deeper hole. And you're so much younger than me too, he said. Then he realised he'd just allowed some fairly offensive words to tumble out of his mouth. His look of horror widened. Maybe I was now a mortally offended serial killer who was ageing badly, but good with an axe. Perhaps wisely, he said no more. We often celebrate the virtue of blunt talk and count as worthy the person who calls a spade a spade, which is good because even in post-modernity, a spade isn't a fish. And Jesus was blunt with the religiously smug as he sought to wake them from the cloying coma that self-righteousness brings. 
Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a straight shooter too, advising the Galatians who were bringing circumcision back into fashion to go the whole hog and just castrate themselves, not exactly comforting pastoral chatter. This was blunt and risky with it. To confront pious legalism means that the challenger always seems like a liberal rather than a freedom fighter. Grace is always most amazing and sometimes incomprehensible to the religious zealot. But sometimes bluntness and thoughtlessness are married. Far from being premeditated, there has been no meditation. I'm sure that the lady who strolled up to me post-sermon and asked me if I'd ever had a stroke was really quite innocent. I replied in the negative, silently wondered if she had any interest in surveying the surgical scars that I do have, and then asked her why she thought I was a stroke victim. Well, it's just that when you smile, only one side of your face goes up, she said. I would have smiled back at her generously, but apparently it would have been wonky. Surely there was no malice in her question. Insensitivity was her only crime. And I decided not to be offended, despite the fact that my own father had suffered a terrible stroke that stole one of his greatest joys, talking, and ultimately helped to kill him. She was not to know that. But I fear that arrogance sometimes crouches behind bluntness. So confident are we that the first notion that pops into our head must be right, or even inspired by God, we open our mouths, we don't engage our brains, and we share what we think, uncensored by pause or reflection. And then we wonder at the damage it causes when kindness is a casualty. Of course, for some, that is just the point, to damage. They bully, pummel and jab with words, and when in doubt, they shout louder, victory by bluster and blasts of searing hot air. But there's nothing commendable or clever about being a verbal pit bull. Because we're good with words doesn't mean we're good. Meanwhile, back at that journey, when I'd arrived at my destination and recovered from scaring that passport control man, I experienced my second helping of blunt talk for the day, which is a lot to take. An unsmiling Dutch lady wandered up to me. We tell people straight in Holland, she barked. If we think you're ugly, we tell you you're ugly. I braced myself. Without wanting in any way to resort to racial stereotypes, my experience of the Dutch is that they are famous for clogs, gouder, windmills, and being devastatingly blunt. For a moment, I forgot my experience earlier in the day back at passport control. Really, I said. I was perplexed. Well, nothing like that has ever happened to me. Quick as a flash and definitely not pausing for enough time to engage brain, she responded, Hmm... So you haven't been to Holland yet then? Or maybe she did engage brain at the speed of light and is very clever and blunt with it. Bluntness without kindness can create all kinds of bruising. Let's be kind. Kindness has been our theme tonight and I'd like us all to consider how we're doing. I'm certainly going to reflect on how I'm doing in that vital area. A few weeks ago, I watched the Mr. Rogers movie, Tom Hanks brilliantly playing Mr. Rogers, that American presenter of children's programming. A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood is the movie. I recommend it. When America was struggling with the sin of racism, and the struggle, of course, still continues, 
Mr. Rogers addressed that by inviting his friend, Officer Clemens, an African-American, to join him and cool his feet in a small wading pool. The year was 1969, and although segregation was no longer the law of the land, not everyone had got the memo. Black people were still not granted equal privileges in many areas of life. The tragedy of racism continued. When Officer Clemens got up from the pool, he used Mr. Rogers' towel to dry his feet, and then Mr. Rogers took the same towel to do the same thing. By this simple act of shared kindness together, the colour barrier that so existed back in 1969 was broken. Someone said of Fred Rogers, who was so kind in everyday life, someone asked, how is he so kind? His wife said, he practices. Mr. Rogers said, be kinder than necessary. Everyone you meet is fighting some kind of battle. Helpful words for us. Have a great week and a kind week. Lucas on Life.